0: Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.
1: Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg, along with co-host Laurie McRobbie. We're starting the new year today by talking about New Year's resolutions and the best way to stick to them all year long. We have three guests joining us. In the studio with us is Ed Hurt, who is a professor in psychological and brain sciences for Indiana University, and we have joining us by Zoom Dr. Michael Teague, who's a primary care provider with IU Health Southern Indiana Physicians, and Lindsay Potts, who's a Director of Behavioral Health Services for IU Health Bloomington. If you have questions or comments, you can phone us at 812-855-0811, or toll free, 877-285-9348. You can also send us your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org or you can follow us on Twitter, at Noon Edition, and send your questions there. So, welcome to everybody. Ed, it's good to see you again. Yeah, thanks. And Lori, it's good to see you again. Haven't it's seen great you for a to while. be here, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. Yes. Um, so, Ed Heard, Ed's been with us before, so I'll dispense with the formalities, just call him Ed. Yep. Um, so, you know, New Year's resolutions, do you know how they started or why they why they even happen, why they occur? No. No. <laughs> okay. That's a good start for the show. So, what's the, you know, as far as, you know, mental health and, you know, the idea of of having resolutions, what's what's your best advice for setting them? Should people do it? I think it has some real
2: benefits to have goals. Uh, I think we set goals for ourselves at a lot of different avenues. So I think it's as good a time as any to sort of think about things that we might want to change or improve upon. But I think um, we are our own worst enemy in many situations, and and we know the hit rate is very low for people sustaining their New Year's resolutions beyond a few weeks at max. So. I think there are things we need to learn about how we can prolong that process and hopefully have better success.
1: I'll oh, say so you're going to help us with that today, right? Hope
2: so. Okay, good.
1: Um, Dr. Teague, Mike Teague. The so a lot of people set resolutions that have to do with their health. So you know when you see people in the first part of the the new year, um, how do you how do you talk to them about? You know how they how they stick with their resolutions.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, obviously, as was just mentioned, um, a lot of folks um, kind of pick January first as a good time to start a new uh, habit or to quit a bad habit. Um, and so, a lot of the counseling that that I do in my office is revolving around choosing small attainable goals, <clears throat> and like maybe with a a long-term goal in mind but picking short-term goals that they can reach for instance uh, maybe you want to lose weight in the new year that's a very common uh resolution maybe your maybe your short term goal could be um to try to uh you know get on the treadmill for 10 minutes a day or walk through your start walking the dog on a daily basis or just something to kind of start being a little bit more active um, and then at the end of the month, hopefully you've attained that goal, and then you can add something else. And so it's a stepwise process with the goal of being lo- of, of losing weight, but ultimately making some more healthy decisions in a short uh, in the short term to try to attain that goal.
1: So, so would you say that's it's um, almost like a lifestyle change that you can just start, you know, start small, and then it might grow into a habit?
3: Yeah, that, I think that's a good way to put it. I think so often we choose, okay, I wanna lose 40 pounds, and then you just don't know how to do that. And so when you don't see the scale moving in the at the rate at which you want it to move, you know, folks will just throw in the towel and say, oh, I'm frustrated, I can't do this anymore. Um, and so making those short-term goals that are more attainable starts making this into a lifestyle change that maybe you can then maintain those things long-term.
1: Okay, and Lindsey Potts, Director of Behavioral Health Services for iU Health Bloomington, a lot of these goals are or a lot of a lot of um, New Year's resolutions have to do with trying to, I don't know, bring more peace to your life or be happier in your life. Um, how you know how do you work with patients on setting goals like that?
4: So those are ap- absolutely very common goals, I think for for most individuals trying to find a greater happiness or a level of ease with life. And in working with individuals either in a therapeutic sense or just in a broader mental wellness sense, thinking of peace as a large, as accepting all sorts of emotions, that are a part of the human experience so uh, humanity is beautiful and diverse uh, because of all of the different things that we experience and that doesn't just include ease so it does include sadness frustration anger hardship all of those are a part of our day-to-day lives and can live in in sync with peace and ease as well so an openness of what does wellness mean? A broader definition of wellness, not so much of seeking happiness. Yes, moments of joy are absolutely a part of that. However, that is not necessarily a realistic goal. And when we are talking about the setting of goals, keeping those goals realistic and attainable, it's really important for folks to stay motivated, to continue to, to practice some of these habits that do, do lead to eventual wellness.
5: Yeah, I want to follow up on that. Uh, and actually, Lindsay and um, and Mike and probably Ed as well could all speak to this is, is over the last um, several years and large part due to the COVID pandemic, uh, we've become much more acutely aware of mental, uh, mental health issues, behavioral health issues. And I'm wondering what all three of you are seeing in terms of how things like making resolutions to improve some aspect of one's life have changed um, in the last, let's just say three, from three years ago. I mean, for example, are there, do you see an uptick in people seeking therapy, for example, um, in, at the beginning of the year um, differently than perhaps that was happening at this time five years ago? So what effect has the pandemic had on people making news resolutions to improve their mental health?
1: I don't uh, give that you know, sure. I mean,
2: I'm going to go more from the student perspective, since that's who I see most regularly yeah. um, in terms of IU students. And the pandemic has clearly had a, a profound effect on, on students, mostly in terms of just the stress level of readjusting to in-person education from remote. And I think... I think a lot of people feel like it was kind of a time of suspended animation almost, you know, that we got through it, but but things didn't happen, and so things need to happen quickly. Um, I need to get this done, I need to do this, I need to, you know, and so clarification of goals is an important part of that, like, what do I really want to do, and am I making progress to this, and what, you know. There, there's a lot of stress about that, so I think one of the things that we've found that's that's really valuable at this point for people is is to be able to have opportunities for people to just voice and kind of talk through what their goals are, what how to prioritize them, and what things they really need to be focusing on. Because there's an amassing kind of thing of so many different things that you just feel overwhelmed and you don't even know where to start. And so you know, narrowing it down to say, okay. W- as as Dr. Teague said, coming up with a smaller goal, an attainable goal or something, or even just constraining the number of goals that you're trying to work on simultaneously can be helpful to at least be able to feel like I know what I'm doing. I have a goal in mind. I can kind of break it down into something, hopefully, that I can work on, and then I can monitor progress and be able to do the kinds of things that might stay motivating other than just kind of, as you said, giving up and feeling just like completely overwhelmed by
1: everything going on. Just to follow up with you on that, because I saw in a story that you were quoted and you talked about reflecting on the progress rather than the end point. Can you say more about that? Yeah. I mean, I'm coming from a
2: psychological perspective. So we really, really focus on when when we talk about people kind of getting involved in any kind of self-regulation or or whatever is that it, it becomes difficult in terms of how we decide how we're doing. On a goal, and so I think the idea of, of seeing it as a a sort of a whole journey and that you have to break it down into pieces. so Dr. T talked about you know how much you want to increase your exercise or activity level or cut out some particular kind of food that's particularly notorious for being like your your decadent pleasure or whatever. And just to, to sort of focus on that and then to see that you're making progress on that. Yes, it may not result in losing five pounds in a week, but but you're seeing that you're actually feeling healthier or you're doing making some progress on that and just letting yourself feel good about that. I mean, it's just so much, so much more motivating. Mm-hmm. And thinking only of that long-term kind of thing, because I think we lose we lose focus in terms of thinking about seeing just those long-term outcomes. And I think there's a lot of benefits to sort of seeing the small successes. And I think in any part of life, I mean, mm-hmm. dwelling on those kinds of things does make you happier. does make you feel like you're a good person. You could do this, and you're not a failure. Yeah. So,
5: yeah. Well, I think that's the, you know part of this whole. Um, Topic of making these resolutions, I think, does can't have a tendency to sort of set our. We can set ourselves up, right, mm-hmm. because um, you know, inevitably, you you feel, I suppose, um, and you may have some evidence um, to, to support this, that people feel kind of obligated to make resolutions. It's the first of the year. Right. I'm, you know, supposed to be thinking about the whole year and how I want to improve myself, and then inevitably, it's very difficult. To do that, this is my explanation for why I tend not to make resolutions—at <laughs> least things I call resolutions. But I, I'm just—I'm wondering about that—that that sense of obligation, if you will, or that you know everybody's supposed to do this—and mm. and wondering again, I, I know Lindsay or uh, Dr. Teague, if you want to respond to this too, if you're seeing that kind of um, sense that people are people think they have to do it, and and that that's you know that's actually a, a bad way to start on something like this. Lindsay, is that anything you? See? Yeah, go ahead.
3: Oh, I was going to say, yeah, interestingly, in my office, I, I see more of what you were just suggesting kind of uh, just, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Uh, just really <laughs> like apathy towards making New Year's resolutions. I think people are just so exhausted of uh, all the change and um, all the stressors that the last three years have really brought to them. And so, uh, you know, I am unfortunately in, uh, in primary care seeing. You know, more of my patients have gone back to smoking, um, have not been exercising, have um, picked up maybe some some of their bad habits that they may have kicked because of the pandemic and the stressors and all the um, the mental health issues now then seeping into physical well-being as well. Um, I I do see almost, I would venture to guess, 30 to 50 percent of my patients that I see have some kind of. Uh, anxiety or depression complaint, uh, or some mental health concern that they also want to discuss in addition to their other, um, you know, physical medical conditions. Um, so I, I think that these things go hand in hand uh, very much. I, I I saw Lindsay had come off mute there, so I'll, I'll pass it over to her.
4: Thanks, Dr. Teague. Yeah, I think just to echo kind of what Ed and um, Dr. Teague are seeing is that increase and in focus on mental wellness and the importance of this foundational, um, that met, being mentally healthy is foundational to um, everything. And we're seeing that that refocus, which I think is potentially a motivator for what Dr. Teague was mentioning. I think folks are reprioritizing and identifying, you know, we we're focusing back on potentially what's most important. And sometimes that those aren't those priorities of upholding some of the change, the, the healthy change that folks had before. One of the unique things really for the pandemic, I think was that it actually led to greater isolation. And, and when we think about hardship and being able to overcome um, hard times in our lives, that usually requires community or connection. Mm-hmm. And so when you remove that, it, it It really created a very interesting um, scenario that we're now seeing ripple effects of for p- probably years to come about how disconnection really impacted individuals in all, in all communities, and speaking of students and and how that's really been something um, when you think about the community and connection required during that life phase of of entering into independence and career development, identity development. And to do that almost in a silo for, for one to two years is very challenging. And, and those the effects of that, I think we're still trying to understand. But understanding that doing things together is always easier. Uh, it's really uh, one of the quotes from uh, Atomic Habits, uh, which is by James Clear, which is uh, one of my favorite books um, that he speaks about related to this is that um, Nothing sustains motivation better than belonging to a tribe. It transforms a personal mm-hmm. quest into a shared one. And um, so I think what Laura was saying, like everyone kind of gets around this idea of, of setting resolutions because everyone's doing it, right? We want to be connected to each other, we want to belong. And so seeing these major shifts that we're seeing right now, where people are maybe recoiling back from resolutions mm-hmm. or not focusing on health. How do we turn that around as a larger group and community? Because that's really where I think a, a larger health change can happen.
1: Two two things I want to say to follow up on that. Uh, one is we got a, a comment from one of our listeners. that says, even if you don't keep your resolution, isn't it good to set one? It means you're being optimistic and showing you want to improve in some way. Is that kind of what you're saying, Lindsay? I mean, is that Yeah, absolutely.
4: Yeah, I mean, being aspirational and and focusing on health and wellness that that shows a, a greater sense of of general basic well-being when we think of maslow's hierarchy of needs and i think that's what dr teague was speaking to we're seeing patients just go back to okay i've got to survive when you're focusing on on goals that means you're you're trying to self-actualize you're, you're trying to make your life better and so even um if that ends up not being the case that you're able to reach the goal you set there's still likely some positive growth within that And also just learning more about yourself and goal setting, if nothing else, right? Like, what are those things that make you successful versus what are those things that maybe hold you back?
1: So there's some heavy research I did from Good Housekeeping before the show, (laughs) 65 different uh, ideas for setting setting New Year's resolutions. And one of them was join a club. And I thought that was an interesting idea, but again, it sounds like very similar to what what you're talking about. Do you think joining something that's sort of a formalized group um, fills this need better than, or just the same as, like having a little coffee group that you meet with every, you know, every morning or every Saturday morning or whatever?
3: I think it's I think it's similar. Um, uh, either way, I think would be good. Though the idea behind going to a club means generally that club is going to be organized around something, some area of interest. And so you're kind of guaranteed to be meeting new people or being around people who have a similar interest uh, or hobby that you might have. And so that is in this, as Lindsay was suggesting, like all the isolation going on and there's all this fear of, can I be around people and not get sick? And um, all these uh, other Uh, Problems going on that lead to us to isolate, uh, joining a club would be a great New Year's resolution um, because it gets you out of the house and gets you around people that you can actually um, share something in common with and and, and kind of do life with, like that tribal um, thought that Lindsay was mentioning uh, would be a, a really good goal to set forward and something you could certainly do. And then maybe those larger clubs then... Uh, spawn those smaller groups of like coffee dates and things like that with folks from the club. Um, it kind of gets you jump-started back into, oh, this is what life can look like again. Uh, it has looked so siloed for the last few years because of the pandemic. Uh, and so to the level of comfort that someone might have being around large groups of people, um, I think you could start with maybe going to coffee with a couple close friends or maybe you're ready to do um, a, a larger group in a club. Um, you know, this goes into physical health too. You know, so many folks used to go to gyms and uh, things like that. And all of a sudden the gym became scary. Um, mm-hmm. If I go to the gym, am I gonna get sick? Yep. Uh, so so now, you know, maybe this is the time to say, you know what, I was a, a member at, you know, the local YMCA or the Iron Pit or something like that. and. Maybe now is the time I can jump back into that with some changes to how I do those things. So I think that's a really good goal to be part of a, a club and a group of people that have a similar uh, goal and worldview and outlook on a specific hobby or thing that it's revolving around.
2: Yeah, and I would add to that that, you know, one of the other things beyond just that whole tribal aspect and feeling a sense of connectedness and belonging to others that many felt. Disconnected, you know, through the pandemic and stuff. The other thing that having other people part of something, like join a book club, as well as like going to the gym, is there's accountability mm-hmm. because you don't want to let those other people down. So if everybody's meeting together, you know, Thursday at two p.m. to like you know do our book club, or if we decide we're all going to meet at you know, as you said, Iron Pit, or like the YMCA and stuff, or a certain class or whatever, it's like that does give that added accountability that those people are gonna be there and they're gonna expect you to be there. And so that really keeps us, I think, connected to our goals a lot more because social support is so, so, so huge on this. And
1: you know, if just you can have that. On a you know personal level, I, I'm sure that the rest of you, well, I'm not sure, but I would expect that I'm not alone in thinking that sometimes, you know, I've got this commitment, this social commitment or something, and I'm like, I don't really wanna do this. And then I get out, I put on my coat, I go, I meet with these people, whatever we're doing, and I get home and I'm revived. Mm-hmm. I feel much better. Mm-hmm.
5: So that's kind mm-hmm. of a
1: common thing, I hope. Yeah, mm-hmm.
5: yeah I, I certainly it works like that for me, uh, absolutely. I, I remember reading, sort of back to this point about accountability, but also, also sort of touching on the fact that resolutions are, sort of by definition, they're in, internally motivated, right? You have to want to do that thing, at least for a period of time. I read recently about uh, uh, I, I gather a practice that's starting up in therapy and psychiatry to prescribe a, a walk or perhaps prescribe go hang out with your friends. or But in other words, to make it a, an externally required um, element of therapy that you go do this wellness thing. It's not taking a drug. It's not, you're not going to the drugstore. But it's you're filling a prescription to go do some healthy behavior. And uh, I, I don't know if that's anything that any of you have encountered or if that's becoming something that is catching on because it's effective in the field of therapy, but that, that just occurred to me as something else that could produce that sense of accountability. I, now, Lindsay, oh, do you have any experience with that? She may be on mute. <laughs> Dr. Teague, yeah, huh, Ed? Okay, I'll, I'll take it since I'm
2: live. Um, I just think that for a lot of things, the initially getting started is always the trouble for most of us. I mean, we may have a goal, but it's just how do we get started? And so sometimes having an external thing that mandates it, or some again kind of ability of somebody monitoring us. So if a doctor says, you know, you need to to start an exercise program or you need to start doing certain kinds of things or if, you know, our people who care about us tell us, you know, you know, you've been drinking too much or you've been doing this too much and stuff and we need to, to do that and stuff. Just having that kind of push initially, but I think the point you made, which I think is a really important one, is ultimately though, it's it's success will only be if it gets internalized. Right. You have to want it. And so if you're doing this for other people, that may get you started. But then if it becomes habitual, if it becomes one of those things where you're seeing added benefits that you're seeing from your own side of it of doing these kinds of things and you're getting rewarded by that and seeing progress or seeing good things kind of accruing from it, you know, feeling a sense of connectedness to others, whatever it might be, that that can really then continue the process. Because in the absence of that, that's that's when we're going to fall off.
1: Let me give our contact information again. We're we're, uh, live on Noon Edition today talking about starting the new year right with New Year's resolutions or not New Year's resolutions. But we're trying to to, uh, talk about mental health and health and how you can stick with uh, any kind of goals that you have. If you have a question or a comment, you can call us at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can also send us your questions to news at indiana or you can tweet us at noon edition with your questions. So I want to ask. Uh, we got a question in um, over one of our one of our different uh, ways of sending a question, and I want to ask Dr. Teague about this because it has to do with with um, with fitness, and I, I know you're not specifically a dietitian, but the person asked if you want to eat healthier. Are there some good baby steps that you would recommend? Something like, you know, eating salad once a week in place of a fast food meal or something like that. Do we have Dr. Mm. Teague with us? All right. Well, we'll go back to him, I guess. Um our Zoom guests seem to be uh, not with us right now. So, yeah. So Ed, glad you're here. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to ask you about uh, a couple of other things that um, might get into the whole mental health aspect. And that is one one of my good housekeeping research lines was to declutter, like declutter your kitchen mm. or declutter your, you know, some part of your life. How does that affect your mental health and your Well, there's certainly a lot of evidence to suggest that
2: your environment really does shape how you feel. And so when you feel like you're in a situation that's out of control and, you know, can't find things, there's mess, there's there's things like that, it does create extra stress on us. And so getting that resolved, I mean, what a great resolution for many people, you know, spring cleaning kind of things or just getting organized in some facet of our life, whether it's work or – Again, making the environment look nice and stuff and getting things back on track and stuff. My wife has done a little bit in the kitchen you know, and stuff. I can't find these kinds of things, so let's just rip out everything and dump it on the floor and then get some organization stuff here. I mean, feeling like, like you're in control. Mm -hmm. And that you know where things are and that the situation is predictable for so many of us is relaxing. And so I think, again, another thing that could be really, I think, for many of us feel like, you know, the mental health thing is is a struggle is – Feeling like we're out of control yeah. on a lot of aspects of our life, so that can be one, and that that is an actual fairly fixable one, right? That we can control is like just trying to organize some room in our house, some aspect of of things to just get them kind of more, you know, organized and mm-hmm. predictable for us, so that we feel more comfortable.
5: Yeah.
1: If I could follow on that, you know, the idea, and I've said this at work many times, is that we have to just control what we can control. Exactly. I mean, we're in a world now where there is so much going on that can add stress to our life and add, uh, you know, all, all sorts of layers of anxiety. You know, how important is it to be able to compartmentalize
2: Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. The whole notion of of feeling of control is, 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 is clearly a really important thing for people to have a positive kind of outlook and, as you said, just general mental health um, outcomes. So, yeah, I mean, if you can control certain aspects of things, that can at least make you feel like, for one facet, you know, I, I can do my part. And so I hopefully don't focus too much on all those things I cannot control, which is the political environment right now, or you know, just w- w- the fear of additional kinds of things. Is there gonna be another strain of uh, COVID or something related to that so that we could have these other kinds of things happen in the future? Just so many different aspects of things that are outside of our control that can overwhelm us, I think, and, 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 and really create such stress that it, it's hard to, to know how to function.
5: Yeah. And how to to keep going. Yeah. And I mean, and even on a smaller scale, you you know, for many of us, it's it's those that sense of no control is playing out in relationships. Um, Obviously, that's I imagine a, a big piece of what people are seeking help with and that are causes for anxiety. Um, and you know again, I, I imagine that the pandemic is, has also seen um, and, and in fact, we know in ter- certain conditions one of our uh, earlier shows last year was about the rise in domestic violence during the pandemic because all that closeness um, did uh, didn't always <laughs> breed fondness let's let's just say. Uh, so I, I suspect that you get uh, you know, you see a fair amount of um, people coming in for, counseling, you know, reporting issues that have to do with trying to um, think differently about the relationships in their, in, their, in their lives. And I'm wondering what, I don't know, what kind of resources you might recommend for them and, and steps they might take if they're trying to improve a, a relationship with a, with a close one, a loved one.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's so many different layers to that one in terms of things that might be producing that. So, as you said, just the forced contact, people being in in situations where they felt constrained and not able to do what they wanted to do. And then, you know, people putting extra demands on you or, you know, health concerns, et cetera. I mean... contributed to that. One of the things that I, not to, not to sort of sideswipe your question a little bit, but to shift it a little bit is that, is that social media has been a bigger problem, because I think people have relied more and more on sure. that to get the connection. But one of the things we know about social media, particularly for students at various times, is, you know, what do we post? We don't post reality. We post an an idealized version of how great everything is and photos and, you know, different things and stuff. And so people still, when they watch that stuff and consume it, they don't feel good about themselves because you're never living up to what you're seeing uh, from other people. And so one of the things I know a lot of people are trying to do as a resolution is to cut out different aspects of social media and not spend so much time or even just eliminating, you know, this. Again, that's hard because that is for many of us that was our main source of connection through many things. And so, again, what's the substitute for that in person? Okay, that would be great if we can make those happen. But, but again, you know, what what are the alternatives? But we know that certain kinds of things are produce difficulties and aren't less healthy options than than things that we might be able to do. Thank God for our pets.
5: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, <laughs> truly.
1: <laughs> right. Well, let me offer our contact information again. We are talking about New Year's resolutions and mental health and what we can do to have a healthier 2023. You can join us um, at Noon Edition. Um, You can tweet us there and send us your questions. You can also... Email us uh, at news at Indiana Public org. You can also call in at 812 855 0811 or toll free at 877 285 9348. We're trying to restore our contact with our <coughs> Zoom guests. Let me check in and see. Do we have our Zoom guests? I don't think so. So yeah. I am here. Oh, you are. Right. Hey, all right. Hello. Yes, yes. Hi. I'm, and,
3: yeah, and I'm here too. Are you able to hear me now? Yeah, yes.
1: yeah. We're happy you're. We're happy you're both back. So we've ha- we've had a couple of questions, um, that Dr. Teague, I think, have to do with with exercise and have to do with fitness, or I mean, uh, diet. I'd asked one before about um, you know how if somebody wants to says they want to lose weight and they want to diet. You know, we've talked about going step by step. What is a good first baby step? The person that sent in this question suggested maybe you know, one, one day of salad instead of fast food. I mean, do you have any tips?
3: Yeah, I think uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, with weight loss, I think so often um, we in America tend to focus on going straight to exercise, and certainly exercise is very important. But the research on losing weight is about 20% of weight loss is in your exercise and 80% of it is in your diet. So focusing first on the diet, I think, is the, is the right way to go. Um, some very simple first steps could be learn about what you're eating. Um, so many of us don't actually learn in high school health class <laughs> how to calculate <laughs> calories and you know is this good for me? Is this not good for me? So you know, downloading a free app on your phone, um, I, I like to recommend an app called MyFitnessPal. It's a free download app, um, but and you just kind of input your what you're eating every day into this app to see how many calories am I eating every day? And it will tell you um, kind of what you should be eating based upon your activity level and things like that. And the research on this suggests that we as people tend to do two things that are counterproductive for weight loss. We all tend to underestimate the number of calories that we eat and then simultaneously overestimate the number of calories that we burn every day with exercise and activity. So as you can assume, those two things combined are not good. Um, so a very simple thing would be start learning about your, your, your typical habits. What does it look like? How many calories am I eating? And then start with, let's reduce the number of calories. Um, a, a very easy thing to do is just remove all liquid calories. Liquid calories are not giving you any source of nutrition. So things like soda and things like alcohol and things like, um, you know, your Starbucks frappuccinos and things, Um, things like that. They can be they can have a lot of calories and then we don't know that. And so trying to limit or remove completely liquid calories is a great first step. Um, And then starting to look at increasing your fruits and vegetables, trying to reduce the amount of red meat and substitute lean protein. Instead of red meat all the time, and again, none of this is never eat these things, never do these things. It's look at how much you're doing and try to reduce or increase increase the good, decrease the bad a little bit. Um, everything in moderation, right? And that rule really works. So I would start with learn your habits. How is that looking for you? And then take a look at what that app is telling you and make a decision as to how you might be able to reduce or change some of those things.
1: If I remember right, I think I've Use this app from time to time, and I think if you plug in something like I just had a Wendy's cheeseburger, a Wendy's single with fries, I think it'll tell you how many calories you've had, won't it?
3: It, it does, yeah. And it also <laughs> it also connects to a lot of like online um like recipe websites, so you can say I have you know such and such websites of chicken marsala, and it will just tell you. But you can also put in individual uh, ingredients and things too if you'd like to do it that way. It becomes very onerous to do this for an incredibly long period of time, but for a few weeks to a month to kind of learn what what am I actually putting in my body is a great first step to starting to make some changes.
1: We have a, I'm sorry, Laura, we have another question that's come in about exercise. Um, this one says, I want to start exercising. Um, I want to start exercising. Do I also have to do strength training? How do I know what kind of strength training I need to do?
3: That's another really common question. I think uh, the American Heart Association recommends 150 minutes uh, a week of cardiovascular exercise. I think a lot of people get kind of bent out of shape about going to a gym or buying a treadmill or a large piece of equipment. But I tell my patients, you could literally do jumping jacks in your living room and watch Netflix while you're doing it. Uh, You don't have to go spend thousands of dollars on exercise equipment to do some of the things. maybe you need to for your own accountability but you don't have to you can do some very easy things like going up and down the flights of stairs in your house um, several times to get your heart rate up so that's the cardiovascular thing but strength training is also important especially in regards to weight loss Um, we know that muscle tissue just at rest burns more calories than fat tissue so if you can actually increase your muscle mass a little bit, your basal metabolic rate goes up, uh, and so you might be able to burn an extra 100, 200 calories a day just sitting at your desk at work if you increase your muscle mass a little bit. Um, now, how to start that is an incredibly varied question. It just it depends upon you know your your medical conditions. You know, have you had any chronic injuries? Um, those kinds of things. So I. I tend to recommend if you've never done any weight training, it is really helpful to even just go to one session with a personal trainer, for instance. You know, go online, find a personal trainer, or go to the YMCA or wherever you're going to a gym, and and they usually have cards or uh, even folks that work there that you can say, hey, I've never lifted weights before. Can you work with me for a session and just show me what I can be doing? you know, generally, uh, we tend to go maybe too high of weight and not enough reps. If you're trying to do more tone, which is what a majority of folks are going for, you kind of want to do more reps and lower weight. You're going to be less likely to hurt or to hurt yourself doing that. And you also just want to start very slow. If the first day you go and do weights, you leave and go, that was too easy. That's okay. The next day you go, increase your weight a little bit or add a couple reps. Um, but you don't want to have the situation where you go and you do too much too soon and you end up injuring yourself uh, with like a rotator cuff problem and then you can't exercise and you're in my office
5: You just described me exactly. (laughs) And that's
2: one of those places where going to a place where there's lots of other people and they're doing it is not really helpful, because you see everybody doing all this other stuff and you either feel like, oh, I'm such a wimp, I can't do that, or I want to stay up with those other people, and you may not stay on uh, the, let's start slow, let's start (laughs) with more reps rather than I want to look
5: like. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that that 18-year-old over there with, yeah. Lindsay, I want to come back to you if I can. What I think at a point when we couldn't couldn't hear you, we were talking a bit more about uh, the importance of healthy relationships. Well, and also um, just the degree to which people will uh, need to work on or resolve to work on uh, their relationships. And you were talking about the, uh, I think it was Atomic Habits and the importance of connection. And I wondered if you if you wanted to say a little bit more about. Uh, you know your advice for people who are focusing on improving their relationships with their family and with their loved ones well, you know what kind of steps that they they can take and what resources would you point them to
4: yeah great question uh, and similarly to what we talked about before with having a couple of years of being in this very high stress state and and isolation relationships have have taken a a lot of toll over these last couple of years. So likely potentially both um, individuals need to focus on themselves, um, how they're communicating their own needs and then also how that interacts with those they are close with. And so what I would recommend is starting internally first is um, of course recommend therapy is always a good place to start with this is identify maybe some areas within the relationship that you feel like from your perspective need improved upon and focus on your own involvement in that. And then also the couples and family therapy is really effective and trying to resolve family dynamic issues that may not be serving the the family unit well. And so those are resources that that are available. I kind of think of this as, you know, whenever you're a couple and you just have a newborn baby and you're raising a small child, uh, a lot of times there's so much focus and energy there uh, to just get through that time period that a lot of times couples and coming out of that uh, more intense parenting phase. have to do some work have to kind of go back and realize oh my gosh where did our identities go as a couple as individuals it's kind of something similar i think with the pandemic as well as everyone just really focused in on safety they focused in on figuring out how to get through this time this very dynamic um, chaotic unpredictable time that continues um, so how do we kind of refocus back into relationships and that we we didn't lose the need for those, um, and but maybe that wasn't the focus for for
5: quite a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: A couple of other things I wanted to sort of pick your brains about in terms of mental health is one. We're we're having, you know, we're going through an unprecedented time of inflation now, and I think that gives people um, anxieties about money. How do how do you you know? We don't have anybody here who's actually you know a, a financial counselor or anything but how how do you talk with people who are just worried that wow i just can't afford to live anymore Ed? i mean
2: yeah, I mean, uh, we we talked a little bit about the whole notion of control and the predictability of things, and I think one of the things that many people are struggling with, and you know, in any ventures where we have to really be accountable to our financial, you know, budgets, et cetera. I mean, it's just one of those kind of things we're trying to forecast, like what we can do going forward in terms of what we can anticipate, things costing, whether we can take trips, whether we can, whether we have enough to retire, whether we, you know, I mean I'm at that age, so I mean obviously <laughs> that's a, that's what, maybe not everybody has but certainly many of us think about I mean just so many different aspects of things. I mean many of us around holidays that's a big expense time too because you gotta get presents, you gotta make it a good experience for your kids and you have people coming, etc. So there's just so many stresses about that, that not being able to feel like there's any controllability there, not, not, not feeling like you can skimp on certain kinds of things. (laughs) I mean, it just really does create a lot of stresses. And so you know, the more that continues, I think, and, and the unpredictability of, like, are we gonna go into a recession? Is this gonna get worse? Is this, or is are we coming out of it? And do we feel some confidence that, you know, okay, we can do this? And I think that happened with the pandemic, too. If we felt like this was gonna be a certain amount of time, I can do it for this long. If it's gonna sustain itself indefinitely, I don't know what I'm gonna do, right? I, right. I mean, I'm going to literally implode if I have to stay, right. you know, inside, or if I cannot do certain kinds of things or get out of the house. Right. So. I
1: think we also we've talked about the, you know, taking it one step at a time too, yeah. which probably applies in this case. Yeah. Uh, and the other question I, I wanted to follow up with Lindsay about is this idea of, you know, can can you give some can you give some tips or advice to those parents out there who are trying to and not the parents of a newborn, but the parents of a ten-year-old or a fourteen-year-old or a sixteen-year-old who are Trying to deal with their their own issues, but also know that you know they really have to nurture their kids during these times of uncertainty and and things like that. What what kind of advice or tips could you give to them?
4: Well, this is really relatable. I have a, a eleven and thirteen year old, <laughs> um, almost eleven and thirteen year old, uh-huh. um, and so uh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of this is the more that you can do together, and so. I think as you're doing your own work, Um, either with um, a professional or just kind of on your own with your own development and and goals that including your children and increasing the amount of connection is key. So those key components that we've been talking about for, for almost this whole hour just also ring true for families that the time together and really authentic connection time is really helpful to help both move through something hard. And so with technology and I think uh, I, I know I'm probably not alone with how uh, the pandemic really shifted, how our kids interact with technology even more than we thought it would. I really accelerated that, um, I know for our family how do we balance uh, devices and how do we balance um, electronic communication versus in-person time, disconnected time? And so those are just some some quick tips, is, is find some things that you enjoy doing together. If you have stopped doing something that you enjoy doing together, try start doing it again. Um, spend, send, Set some family boundaries. What are some family goals? Like we're going to not be on devices after 9 o'clock at night, and, and instead we're going to um, talk about our day or potentially listen to a story, something like that that actually helps um, refocus um, on connection and helps you and your children find different coping mechanisms.
1: This, this uh, addresses a little bit a comment or a question we had from one of our listeners. It says, uh, do any of our guests ever see people do group family resolutions where they have a
4: mm-hmm.
1: combined goal? And I think that's a little bit what you're talking about, right?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, something that, you know, I practice personally, but also have have seen others find a lot of success in is just sitting around and figuring out what do we all want to work on? What are we all struggling with? You know, we're, a lot of times what we see in our children may be something that may be a bit louder and more raw that's within ourselves. And so how can we really tap into that? those shared goals and, and connection and really focus as a family on something together?
2: I have a friend who just had, I don't know if this is a resolution, but it was something that they decided to do, and that was to have a family night or a family outing together. And everybody has a turn deciding what that is. So every member of the family literally has one. You know, let's say they have four people in the family: the, the husband, wife, and and two kids, or something like that. You know, everybody has a turn picking like what that activity is: go bowling, you know, do this, have a movie night, blah blah blah. But everybody has a chance to do it. They do it all together, and you look forward to the time when you get to pick. But you also participate in that, and you know, you think about what everybody likes and stuff. And that has been for them a really beneficial thing coming out of pandemic. So, I mean i would I would try it. It sounds yeah. like a good idea to yeah. me, but I mean it 's something I think that fulfills a lot of what lindsay 's talking about
5: yeah. yeah i I grew up in, in in fact with that we had we had family game night and yeah. it was and we always got the same uh, frozen ice cream confection, and we 'd only have it on family game night and and you know that was in an era i 'm old enough that that was well before social media and the internet and mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure that we had a television um, for much of that time. We sort of got it when the Apollo program, uh, so we could watch rockets going up. But uh, but that and 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 another just reminded me. And I suppose this is another um, nice practice is uh, doing one-on-one stuff, parent and parent and one kid, and the kid mm-hmm. gets to decide what you do. That was that was also something that uh, was, was great when I was growing up.
1: We have three minutes to go. I want to give each of our guests another minute to um, take us out of the program today, giving uh, you know your best thoughts. Whatever, what did we miss today? So let's start with um, Dr. Uh, yeah, let's, let's start with Mike and see where he wants to go with this. What did we miss, Dr. Teague?
3: Uh, The only thing that I think that we haven't really mentioned uh, explicitly would be a lot of times for resolutions or for a change, you you don't have to pick January 1st. It could be any day. Like maybe today is that day that you want to make that change. And that's okay. So don't focus so much on it's got to be January 1st. You know, if we if we want to be healthier, we want to be, you know, uh, better, better people going into a next phase then you can pick today or tomorrow as that day but the idea is to pick the day and stick to it um and sometimes it's a lot easier to choose something that you are going to start doing versus something you would like to stop doing maybe that thing you're going to start doing is to help you stop doing something else that you'd like to stop but starting a new good habit is a lot times easier than stopping a bad habit uh, just full out. So that would be my last piece of advice.
4: All right, Lindsay? Yeah, and to piggyback on on that is that uh, change is hard. And so no matter when you try or have uh, a belief in yourself that you can do something um, to better your life, that is a positive thing and lots of grace and compassion for yourself on that journey and that all of us struggle with change. And the more that uh, we can have that internal self-dialogue of strength and positivity and compassion, um, the stronger we will be to face any challenges that we that we might endure.
2: All right, Yeah. Ed? Yeah, I think I like following on Lindsay's thing, that idea of just admitting to yourself that it's it's okay. I mean to be sort of self-love a little bit about this whole process. But I think also that I think we have this delusion that there's some people who are great at this and that I'm bad or you know, and most of us think we're pretty bad on this. A lot of it's just planning. A lot of it's just thinking ahead in terms of what ways you can get yourself to do things and I think then you have success and I think in the moment, it's hard for anybody to to, to you know quell different desires and and, and different impulses that we have. But when we plan ahead and stuff and create situations where we're likely to have success, we will have success. And I think then we can really enjoy yeah. that. So I think I think that's something I've had to learn, and I think many of us have to learn is just okay. a little. Pre-planning does a, goes a long, yeah. long way to right. increasing success. Lori, any final
5: thoughts? No, just it, it's sort of like resolve to take ourselves off the hook. Yeah. Right? Right. That's the resolution is, is to not not compare ourselves to others all the time.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much. Our guests today have been fantastic. I hope everybody feels a little better. Dr. Michael Teague, primary care provider with IU Health Southern Indiana Physicians. Lindsay Potts, Director of Behavioral Health Services for IU Health Bloomington. And Ed Hurt, Professor in Psychological and Brain Sciences at IU. For my co-host, Lori McRobbie, for engineer, Mike Pashkash, who also did some producing today, for Nathan Moore, our producer, for my usual co-host, Sarah Whitmire, my other co-host, I should say, not usual, my other co-host, Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Zaltzberg, thanks for listening.
0: Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future healthcare in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, Offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.